I welcome you, friends, to our second podcast on the measuring on the measured day uh, podcast. Um, and I wanted to speak to you today about the lectionary passage for this week. It comes to us from the book of John. Predictably, it's the passage that very often follows the resurrection account of Christ. It is John 20, verses 19 to 31. You may want to pause the podcast now and read that, but maybe I'd argue as well it's not highly necessary for you to do that. We look today at fear, but to get us there, I want to speak about a new documentary that's being released. The documentary is called Praying for Armageddon, and according to the trailer, uh, the documentary tracks the rise of a particular form of conservative evangelical Christian thinking. That's about um, people that are praying and hoping and selling the idea that the end times are upon us. In my opinion, there are only a handful of things that are more or as dangerous as this type of Christianity, if you can call it that. The poster is a Jesus on a a white stallion. He's holding an American flag and a a high-powered semi-automatic weapon in the other hand. This is the Jesus of empire. He's powerful, strong. He is man's man Jesus. It is shocking and provocative, and I think it is that in part because it's a clear symbol, actually, of the kind of Jesus that lots of people worship, even if the depiction seems to us a bit offensive. It's a far cry from the Jesus that appears in the upper room. Fear is the order of the day in John chapter 20. The disciples are locked away because of fear. And I can imagine that the conversation is filled with fear. Thomas is not present, as we know. I argue that he's been given a bad rap. His absence may be a reminder that we all mourn in different ways. Years ago, I laid a friend to rest. He had two sons. They were both my age, maybe a little younger. Um, The one son, upon his passing, pulled into the family and grieved alongside the rest of the family. The other packed a backpack and headed for the mountains. He had to process the loss in his own way. There was one was not right and the other wrong. They were just different, as we are as human beings. I wonder too, and I'd ask you to afford me some creative license here. Um, you know, fearful people can stoke each other up. If you've ever been around people that are um, that are fearful, it doesn't take much to um, for those voices to sort of circle around this thing. And they land up feeding the fear. Uh, Whatever the particular feeling in a room is with a group of people, the conversation sort of bounces off each other, either ascends or descends according to what the feel and the issue is in play. Recently, a book reminded me that personal change is in fact elusive, in part because we can't actually change ourselves, at least not easily, and maybe not directly can do and what thousands of um, of self-help books really fail to tell us is the most um, one of the most recognized most powerful forms of personal transformation occurs when we change our environment and changing our environment leads us to change we want to see in ourselves or we don't want to see it can happen positively or negatively. It's not really a new thought. We have seen friends and family change according to the friends they keep, the environment that they are in. Um, and that is true. 
But if Thomas was around, lots of fearful talk, he might have found that unhelpful and moved away for a season. Anyway, Jesus appears. And the appearance of Jesus provides a powerful tableau or picture. My favorite depiction of what happens here with Jesus and the disciples and in the second encounter with Thomas, my favorite depiction is that of Caravaggio. Uh, Caravaggio is one of the bad boys of Renaissance uh, um, art. And uh, Caravaggio depicted the very moment that Thomas sticks his finger, his index finger, into the side of Jesus. It seems a bit too intimate and a bit offensive. And when you see the painting, you can almost find yourself pulling away or shying away from that moment um, because it seems so odd to see a finger in a side. It reminded me of a story that happened to me while running as a child. I must have been about 10 or 11 years old, finished playing tennis with a friend, and we were late getting home. I fell on a newly laid pathway, and I caught the edge of the pathway um, sort of three step up onto the pathway. I caught the edge um, of my uh, caught my side on the edge of a sharp brick, and my side split open. And I remember once the sort of initial panic had subsided, I remember sort of looking at this and uh, putting my finger in and seeing and feeling the raw, billowy tissue beneath the surface and the softly pumping blood. I remember being quite taken. At being, <laughs> this is the sort of first and only time I'd seen an internal organ <laughs> of my own body. I was inquisitive as, a, inquisitive as a child, but maybe it's more off-putting as an adult. Was Caravaggio being too daring? Jesus encourages Thomas uh, to do just that. And the text itself says that that's what happened. Caravaggio zooms in with his paintbrush. And instead of depicting all of the disciples, he just depicts the three disciples, Thomas being one of them, absorbed by the wound. Symbolically powerful, the arrival of Jesus, here is the Messiah, alive but wounded, vulnerable, mysterious, completely on display, revealing to us, the, the reader and the listener, the gentle power of love. The fearful community gathers around this Jesus. He speaks words of peace. He breathes his spirit. Is this John's Pentecost moment? Friends, the, the truth is we all fear, and we attempt to manage that fear in different ways. I remember years ago being startled when I read the autobiography of John McEnroe. Here, this wild bad boy of tennis, this tantrum thrower, this one who um, had no issue speaking his mind. He seemed beyond confident, overly aggressive and arrogant, admitting in his own biography that the thing that drove him was the fear of losing. Um, I was reminded this week, too, about alcoholism, that for alcohol, for alcoholics, alcohol is used, obviously, as a poor substitute for that sense of a loss of control. Alcohol is used to control emotions, experiences that are spiraling beyond control. And although there are lots of very basic and cliched fears that we would argue we've long put to bed, the fact of the matter is we are hamstrung, shackled, less than the people we're created to be, in part because of fear. We worry about what other people will think. We worry about what other people will say, how we come across, how we look. We start considering the list of the subtle forces of fear that plague our lives. We realize that it's almost an endless list. 
our devotion to fast living can be attributed in part to fear. Devoted we are to doing things quickly and all the time. It's the reason why we feel like as the days and years and months pass, that time is getting faster and faster. Calculations suggest that if Amazon's page loaded one second slower, the company would lose approximately $1.6 billion in annual sales. This is high-speed living as emotional avoidance. The avoidance of what emotion? One of them certainly being fear. Of course, historically, and this is a hobby horse of mine, an unholy alliance formed between religion and fear. Religion of every stripe traded on fear. Um, The fear of going to hell, the fear of getting it wrong, the fear of what the God of wrath will do to you if you live an unrighteous life. And um, many people try to, many religions and religious leaders through the years, even now, try to enforce change through fear and, of course, It's a useless and godless endeavor. The issue mentioned at the start, um, praying for Armageddon, peddling the Armageddon, um, is just that same nefarious fear in a different form. If you take nothing else away from this podcast, maybe this is a good thing to take away. It's a good rule of thumb. Whenever a shrill voice is calling you to fear something, take extra precautionary measures. What is driving this Some things that cause us to fear are legitimate. Fearing end times enthusiasts is a wise idea as they drive us uh, with their ideology towards the cliff, uh, uh, the edge of the cliff. Others call us to fear, to advance an unholy and godless and anti-Jesus agenda. A loving community gathered around the wounded Christ can help us discern the difference between those two. You see, friends, true true transformation passes through the gates of vulnerability. In leadership and coaching, they might call this second-order change, a complete change of perspective, fundamentally different to what you've done before. Not avoidance, but vulnerable acceptance. Not pretending to a strength you don't have, but a willing acceptance of our reliance on God and others. A turning towards the beautiful and challenging story of Jesus. The true community should be the place where people can bring their struggles and their fears, share them in trust, finding strength in the witness, the way, and the community of Christ. A reminder that you're not going to get through life without a struggle, but that even in the struggle, you will be held. Friends, thank you so much for listening to the second podcast on the measured day. Wish you well, stay strong, keep praying, and we'll see you, we'll hear you, we'll find you soon.